Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Point of Insanity Game Studios Geekery in General Podcast. And as you can probably hear, I uh, think the mic's probably picked it up. I do have, of course, a couple guests in the studio, one of which will have a non-speaking part, kind of. <laughs> uh, first to help me out with this episode, I've got Casey returning. How are you doing today, Casey? Doing fine. Thanks for inviting me back. You're welcome. And uh, I've got, of course, our little son over there, too. So he's... You may remember when we Casey helped me with the uh, episode on how we change as gamers, and uh, of course her son here had a few things to say. <laughs> so, anyways, to before we begin with today's topic, uh, you may remember last episode my friend Dan and I talked a little bit about uh, toy lines of our childhood. So, put you on the spot and get off topic right away, Casey. What were some of the toy lines you played with when you were a kid? Because, I mean, Dan and I, we talked a lot about things like, of course, G.I. Joe and He-Man and Transformers and uh, Mask. Um, so, let's hear things from a lady's perspective. Well, um... <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, I know. So? That, that, you know, and that's exactly what I would have thought about it. Um, my, I, I had an interesting situation with lines of toys because um, my mom was of the opinion that we had to play with ladylike things. So, for ah. example, you know, I did not get the uh, magic set that I wanted, but we did get to play with, like, my little pony sticker books. Um, my little sister had a vat of Barbies, but those Barbies were put to all kinds of... Um, horrible and terrible story purpose. So, uh, you know, I, I would say, I would say we just used what we had in front of us. Um, yeah, I, I admit I didn't get too much experience with licensed stuff until okay. I was out on my own. Did you at least play with Legos? We had Legos. We had mm -hmm. Lincoln Logs. We had uh, piles and piles of books um, and the vat of Barbies. Yep. Yeah, and actually, Dan had kind of a funny story he told last time how he was cleaning out his basement and he found... Do you remember the old Star Wars Rancor from the Return of the Jedi toy yeah. line? Apparently, if you try hard enough, you can fit a GI... You can fit a figure inside there. And he was cleaning out his basement and he found it and he heard a rattling. And apparently, his old Voltron figure of Princess Allura somehow found its way in there. So, I kind of wonder what that play session was like, but... Well, anyways. you know... I, I respect that. Like, G.R.R. Martin, he's not, you know, going to keep anybody safe. That's true. <laughs> so, now on to today's topic. Today we're going to be talking about uh, three things that are different but yet somewhat related. And those are urban legends, creepypastas, and paranormal tales. Now, my wife and I did an episode where we talked about paranormal investigation shows uh, a while ago. Uh, we're not going to be talking so much as that kind of stuff when we say paranormal tales. Uh, for today's episode, we're talking more about ghost stories, stuff that is pretty much intentionally made up just to, you know, scare people or entertain people. Mm -hmm. So we're not we're not going to be talking again about the you know ghost hunters uh, and again other paranormal investigation type shows. So, what are let's talk first about some of our earliest or first experiences with urban legends. Uh, we're going to get to creepy pastas later because they're pretty much a modern innovation. But for me, a lot of my earliest experiences with urban legends were around Halloween. What about mm -hmm. you? 
Well, um, I'm actually in a unique spot about this again. I, I mentioned the piles of books around the house. Uh, my mother actually studied urban legends as part of her collegiate studies. Like she did theses on urban legends, and so we had a lot of books about them. And I had a morbid streak about a mile wide. And so <laughs> I spent a lot of time scaring myself stupid. Um, however, it did mean that I was able to recognize local urban legends when they would come up, like in grade school, stories about, oh, if you walk far enough into the woods behind a school, there's a house there. And if you actually go into the house, the person who lives there will follow you home. And once in the distance, I saw an empty structure, but I didn't go near it, you know, uh, and that kind of thing. <laughs> of course, one of the first uh, urban legends I remember from uh, when I was a kid was the old standby of why we had to take, well, we didn't have to, but why it was recommended we take our Halloween candy after trick-or-treating to the local hospital to have it x-rayed. Uh, of course, because there was the old story of razors in the apples and people putting uh, needles in uh, candy bars and, of course, poisoning candy bars, um, which from I've heard mixed things about it. I've heard that situations like this have hap have happened but they've been on an extremely small scale. Once. And, it yeah. happened once. Yeah. It literally only happened once in California, and none of the kids actually ate the tainted goods, and we had a nationwide panic because of it. And I'm not bitter at all. Yeah. And another uh, one I remember, and this is one of my favorite ones I first learned about around middle school. I had a friend back then who... Let's say he was prone to exaggeration, mm. or should I just say he's a big fat liar? <laughs> but he was one of those guys who would believe just about everything you told him. Mm -hmm. And one of the stories he always told me that you know he swore was true was the old legend of the haunted house that's so scary, no one's finished it. Mm -hmm. And I've heard different variations of it. The most common one I think I heard was that uh, usually it, would, it was five floors. And it would they would charge you some exorbitant fee like fifty dollars, mm -hmm. but you know for every floor that you uh, that you you manage to get through, they would give you ten dollars back. Um, other versions they say that you only get it you know your money back if you you know make it all the way through. Mm -hmm. So that was one that I remember, and you know of course there were a couple different places around town where supposedly this house was. Sure. And that's um, actually a really great example because that's one which is a valid urban legend. It appears regionally all over the country, but it's also ascended into creepy pasta. Really? Yes. Now creepy pasta does have a trait where it's always meant to be as scary as possible and it's not necessarily believable. So the creepy pasta version um in, rather than finding people dead of a heart attack at the top floor, you find, uh, you know, that you've cursed yourself and forever every door you go through <laughs> becomes part of the haunted house. And so I've on. never heard that one. So, yeah, that's interesting. Like I said, I've never heard it. I never heard it actually sent to the creepy pasta. I've always been aware of it as an urban legend. Mm -hmm. um, another well, one. Sorry, that, go ahead. Another one that I remember, uh, there was one where... Um, animal shelters. Supposedly, animal shelters wouldn't adopt black cats in October or uh, sometimes even black dogs because there was the legend that, you know, satanic cults would adopt cats in October and then sacrifice them on Halloween. Mm -hmm. That one is one I think that's pretty much been debunked. Um, another one that I believe has been debunked is um, the 
one about satanic cults that would kidnap and sacrifice homeless people around Halloween. Mm -hmm. um, and I think one of the reasons that one was kind of fell out of favor or fell out of uh, the public eye, I guess, is people started taking a critical look at this and it's like, okay, first, if they're only kidnapping homeless people, which are hard to keep track of, or people no one would miss, how do we know they're doing this? And then there was the more important question, where are the bodies? Mm -hmm. You know, there weren't, there weren't police reports of, you know, finding homeless people ritually sacrificed. So that one, you know, pretty much I believe has been debunked. Well, I, I'm actually willing to bet you've heard more urban legends than you think you have, mm -hmm. because a lot of people tend to forget that urban legends uh, don't just have scary aspects. There's a lot of them that are positive or protective or just sensational. Oh, yes. Uh, you know, don't eat bubble yum. Bubble yum uses spider eggs in their gum. Mm -hmm. Don't eat Kentucky Fried Chicken. Somebody found a Kentucky Fried Rat, you know. Or the other one I heard is the someone ate some McDonald's chicken nuggets, and one of them was actually a chicken head. Or there was another one... Uh, uh, someone ate a Wendy's chicken sandwich and there was a tumor and, you know, so mm -hmm. they've been into this big gooey now, tumor. Now, to be fair, that could happen anywhere. Yeah. But yeah. No, um, other things, like what I always thought was interesting, did you know that almost every country that has streetlights has an urban legend about if you touch the roof of your car while you go through a yellow light, something good will happen? Never heard that one, no. Nation, like, it's across the country, it's in other countries as well. Sometimes it means that you'll be protected from your next speeding ticket, or you'll hmm. get the next green light, or you have five extra minutes of your life, or you're <laughs> guaranteed to have sex at least once before you die. Or, <laughs> you know. um, but I, when I was looking over our plans for this discussion, I noticed that you thought, oh, well, it might be hard to incorporate things like this. Well, the fact of the matter is an urban legend is a rumor writ large, and rumors can be about almost anything. Yeah, and um, one uh, popular – like one thing I've noticed that you see a lot of times in urban legends, science and technology and specifically computers. Mm -hmm. uh, so I've seen a lot of urban legends dealing with that. Um, what's your opinion on that and why we see a lot of – you know, these urban legends about technology. Well, you see a spike of urban legends about anything new when it's first introduced because, you know, it's perfectly normal that people have a phase of this is alarming uh, just as there are people who will react to the new things by saying this is exciting. So you have a lot of moralistic warning stories about, oh, you know, my neighbor's cousin's boyfriend uh, went Former inside. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, went and signed up for this service, and the first person they met was a murderer and ripped off their face. Um, it's meant to be a warning, um, yeah. and it, it just comes from a place of anxiety. Yeah, and I think uh, another reason we sometimes see these types of uh, you know, urban legends with dealing with technology is not everyone understands it. And if you don't understand something, it's easy to... Mm -hmm you know, fall for urban legends. Mm -hmm. One good example, this was back in 2003. Uh, do you happen to remember seeing an email that said that, you know, Mars was going to look the same size as the full moon? Yes. Um, I actually worked at a planetarium back at that time. <laughs> and I remember during that week, we, we actually took track of how many calls we had. We had, I think, about 17 or 18 calls of people, is this true that Mars is going to look the same size as the full moon? And it's like, okay, no. And, you know, we took it as an opportunity to educate people. And uh, you see this you see this email usually make its rounds every so often. I don't think it's as much. Mm -hmm. um, 
because it's something that happens that's totally natural. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's like about every year and eight months or so. But what's happening is, you know, every so often, Earth reaches its furthest point from the sun while Mars reaches its closest point. And this closes the distance between them. And, you know, Mars looks, of course, a little bit brighter. And mm -hmm. uh, during that the 2003 event, uh, what happened was, you know, Mars was... You know, they, Mars and Earth just happened to be in the right place where it was going to look brighter. And the mm -hmm. actual email, you know, the, the non-hoax uh, one was saying that if you had the right size telescope, it would look the size of the full moon. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, like I said, I remember we got quite a number of calls of people asking if it was true. So Sure. I'm going to take a moment to plug a website that probably a lot of people listening have already heard about. If you ever get an unexpected email like that, Snopes.com. Yes. I. There are times where I have to direct my mom to that site <laughs> because, God bless her, I love her. She's a wonderful woman, but mm -hmm. yeah, she's one of those people that tends to, if she sees an email claiming the the earth is about to run out of oxygen or something to that effect. She'll, well, she's not that bad, but usually she tends to forward her stuff. That's like, okay, mom, if you would have went to Snopes.com, you know, you probably would have found that there. So yeah, stop making yourself look foolish, mom. Yeah, no, that does highlight an aspect of urban legends. They often have that too good to be true. Oh my goodness. Have you heard this quality? Um, so again, something that could potentially be used to push players towards the story that you want or towards some piece of information or, or uh, MacGuffin that you need them to find. Uh, people getting overexcited and getting it completely wrong and uh, getting the players interested in finding the truth about it. Yeah, and I, I know you just, when you say about the good, too good to be true, of course, one that's been around is the Bill Gates email tracker, mm -hmm. you know, saying that, you know, Bill Gates has invented this email tracker, and if you forward this to uh, five, you know, 50 of your friends within the next 10 minutes, uh, Bill Gates will send you $500 of his money. If you send it to 100 people, he mm -hmm. will send you $1,000. So, that, yep, that's actually also been done with Nike and Budweiser. Yeah, I've seen those two where it's like, okay, you know, forward this to this many people and you'll get a gift certificate for $100 off a, a purchase. And, or we will mail you a six-pack of beer. Right. Yes, sure. exactly. Mm -hmm. and, and again, I think you said it was that whole too good to be true mm -hmm. Um and of course, you see the the good luck chain letters where forward this to you know if you don't forward this to uh, so many people within the next two minutes or whatever, you know you'll have bad luck for the next several years. Which brings me to another interesting way that I have personally used urban legends. P uh, players tend to be familiar with them, or at least with their tropes. They can recognize an urban legend when you see them. Players tend to be able to recognize urban legends or the style of an urban legend. However, a lot of campaigns are set in places where unusual or supernatural or magical things can happen and can be true. So it's sometimes fun to fake them out by giving them a story that they think must be false and having it in fact be true, that they absolutely must forward that chain parchment. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and another thing I always thought was interesting about urban legends is they can evolve. A good example, uh, last year or so, I remember seeing a, an urban legend uh, going around that there was this deserted ghost ship full of rats that mm -hmm. was floating in the, the Pacific, and it was due to reach like California or Alaska or somewhere on the West Coast. 
And then after the Ebola outbreak, well, I don't know if you call it an outbreak, but when, you know, Ebola came to America, then all of a sudden the legend evolved where now it's a ship full of rat, you know, rats infected with Ebola, except mm-hmm. now it was in the Atlantic and it was floating towards New York. Yep. So, again, I always thought that was interesting. Yep. Um, also, that, go ahead. No, I was going to say, you've picked on a, a really strong point. Urban legends tend to be mutable. They change over time. They change from region to region. There'll be a number of variants of a single tale, uh, whereas, just to compare, because I know we're going to be talking about them later, with creepypastas, it's fixed. There is one right way to tell it. The author is known. Uh, with more paranormal tales that have kind of become part of folklore, either of a region or overall, again, there is a right way to tell them. Uh, they're locked in. But yeah, as, as you said, yeah, they're they're mutable, and um, you know, of course, they change as like I said, the one with the the ship filled with Ebola infected rats, and you know, of course, if the it was a different disease, well, I'd say that for the sake of argument, uh, a couple of years from now, there's a new disease that you know breaks out. It wouldn't surprise me if we saw a new email saying that you know there's this boat full of rats that is infected with this other disease that's mm-hmm. now floating. It's on Lake Michigan, and it's floating towards Green Bay right as we speak. Mm-hmm. But you mentioned paranormal tales, so let's go into that. And, um, you know, again, usually, as you said, there's generally one way to tell them. You're, you can sometimes find variations of the theme, but usually they're very specific on yeah. you know, how they're told and what their background is. Exactly, because paranormal tales, the way you describe them, I would say are either a specific subset of urban legends which are definitely supernatural and usually localized like stories told around a campfire or things that have become folklore uh, like uh, La Llorona, the, sl- the weeping woman in Mexico or the vanishing hitchhiker in the United States. Oh yeah, that's a, I know that's a popular one too. Um, my wife, originally from Chicago, she told me the story of Resurrection Mary. Yes. Which again is the whole vanishing hitchhiker where supposedly she appears on you know, like the Snoopy, the dark and stormy night where uh, if you go by Resurrection Cemetery mm-hmm. and of course she asks for a ride and once you get to a certain point, she's, she's vanished. Gone. Yep. And there is one. Uh, have you ever heard the song? I think Red Sovine uh, made it. It's a country song mm-hmm. called Phantom 309. I have heard of it. I don't believe I have. I don't recall whether I've actually heard the song itself. Yeah, it's it's a really good song. It's one of my favorites. But um, it's I don't know if it's based on a specific legend, but it's something that sounds like it could be. Uh, well, the story is about a trucker who uh, his truck breaks down, mm-hmm. and he's on his way. He's walking home, and then it starts to rain. Notices a semi stop by, mm-hmm. and it pulls over, and there's this big burly guy who introduces himself as Big Joe, mm-hmm. and he offers to give him a ride. So he drives him for a few miles, and then you know says, "Okay, I got to make a turn up here, so I'm afraid that I'm going to have to let you go uh, here." So he drops him off at this diner, and then you know drives off into the night. Mm-hmm. But before he goes, Big Joe gives him a dime. Mm-hmm. And when he goes and you know says, okay, when you get to the diner, tell him that Big Joe is setting you up. So he goes in there, orders a cup of coffee, and he's like, you know, tells the waiter that Big Joe is setting him up. And then, of course, the diner gets quiet because you hear this story that, you know, years ago, uh, there was a busload of kids that was stalled at the bottom of the hill. Mm-hmm. And Big Joe, his brakes locked up on his truck. Mm-hmm. But rather than kill this busload of kids, he turned and went into the ditch, which killed him, 
but save the kids. Sure. And then, of course, every now and then they tell the story of how, um, you know, Big Joel will pick up a hitchhiker. And actually, Pee-wee's Big Adventure made kind of a reference to it. Well, sure, because... Large Marge. Yep, stories like that, again, are a nationwide thing. Sort of like with those yellow lights, anywhere you've got roads. Uh, and sometimes they are fixed spirits with names like Big Joe. Um, sometimes it's uh, an unnamed person. Uh, there's a lot of ghosts that will either help people, hurt people, or are trying to get away from where they died. Yeah, and of course one thing, I think my wife and I talked about this when we mentioned the uh, reoccurring apparitions or when we talk about paranormal investigation. Um, there were one type of ghost is called the reoccurring apparition, mm -hmm. which is a ghost that usually ends up playing out its death or playing out some scene of sadness. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, one thing that's interesting, kind of a local legend, uh, there, have you heard of the ghost of Secura Pond? You know, I don't think I have. But yeah, down in the city of Menasha, uh, there's a security company, there's a, an insurance company called Secura, mm -hmm. and they've got a pond outside the front of their building. Mm -hmm. And there's a ghost story that during the 18, or it was like early 1900s or something, there was a, a girl that supposedly fell into the pond and... Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, drowned. So mm -hmm. people occasionally see her her ghost there. Mm -hmm. That one has actually been debunked, though. Uh, here in Wisconsin, we got there's an author named Chad Lewis. Uh, I've seen a couple of his books, but he you know does paranormal investigation and and ghost stories. And sure, he was investigating this one. He's like, well, okay, this one we know is definitely false because it's just a story because uh, this the that that pond was actually built in like the, it was an artificial pond that was built in like the 1960s, I think, mm -hmm. because that's when, or whenever the building went up. I know another one that we have here, supposedly, well, down in Oshkosh, there's the Grand Opera House. Mm -hmm. That's supposedly haunted. I don't know the details behind that story, but I just, I've just heard that it's supposed to be haunted. Um, another one, uh, the Payne Art Center, again, mm -hmm. also down in Oshkosh. Mm -hmm. uh, have you heard of that one? Or? Yes. You want to tell it? or? <laughs> um, no, you're kind of on a roll. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Um, that one, the uh, the guy who built it, obviously his last name was Payne, um, he was like uh, some sort of big businessman back in the, I want to say it's the late 1800s. Mm -hmm, that sounds right. Um, and, you know, when he was having his house built, supposedly he wasn't exactly the nicest person in the world, and... Uh, people threatened him that if he have, after his house was built that if he ever set foot in it they would destroy it. You mm. know, people would burn it down. So he never actually went into it, and eventually it became the art center. Mm -hmm. I guess that's just a story I heard when I was in college. Don't remember exactly where I heard it, but again, just interesting little things like that that you could probably yeah. find just about anywhere you go. Now, I think it's interesting that you're talking about ways that urban legends can be proven or disproven rather than seeing them just as kind of a phenomenon of the way we talk about things and to each other. Um, I will say that goes in direct contrast with creepypasta because creepypasta is never believed to be true. Yes. Uh, the only well, time, well, there is a situation. We'll get to that when we talk about Slenderman. Yeah, and what I'm saying, what I'm saying is the people who created and participated in Slenderman in, in creepypasta in general, until very recently, it was never taken to be true. Now, some creepypasta may be becoming urban legend through that passing of information. If it's left the internet, left that fixed 
you know, the author is known, we know where it came from, and become a story that people tell, it could easily become something that people believe could be true. How can you prove it's not true? Kind of thing. Yeah, and so a nice transition into creepypasta. <laughs> so, uh, again, as I was saying at the beginning, this pretty much a modern innovation uh, comes from the term copypasta, which is a block of text that is usually copied and pasted somewhere else. Mm -hmm. um, and it can serve as the function of both an urban legend and a paranormal tale. Honestly, I would say no, and I'll tell no, you no. why. Okay. Because creepypasta is intended to frighten and entertain, mm -hmm. and they may work with lo locations or regions. There's a couple of great ones about Disney, for example, but they are, first of all, never assumed to be true. Urban legends are always told in the sense that this is this could be true, or I have reason to believe it's true. Or it That's why to the friend of a friend of exactly. a friend, former roommate's cousin. Exactly. The <laughs> former roommate's cousin vouches that you at least have some plausible deniability that it could be true. Um, paranormal tales, uh, localized legends, or folklore, um, you don't... You don't um, you, you go into it assuming that it's not true because it's presented to you as folklore, right? Creepypasta, creepypasta always begins with the perspective of, we all know this isn't true. I'm just trying to tell you a really memorable story. Yeah. And that's the case whether it starts out on 4chan like Slenderman did, uh, whether it's something... That was something awful. No, was it? Oh, you're something, right. Yeah, something you're awful right. format. It was a, it was a, there was a single thread on something awful that started Slenderman, and then 4chan picked it up after that thread capped. Mm -hmm. And then um, after that, it's just become sort of a generalized internet phenomenon. Um, there's Thank you for bringing up something awful. Of course, uh, the export on 4chan, um, the no sleep subreddit on Reddit, uh, creepypasta.wikia. Um, there's lots of places where people generate these, but I have never encountered one where it is creepypasta and people are trying to pretend or assuming that it's true in any way other than the tongue-in-cheek. Yeah, and let's talk about uh, Slender Man, since, which I think is a pretty popular one because, of course, there was the video game Slender, the eight pages. Uh, they made a sequel to that game. Yeah, there's thousands um, of images online. It's It was a huge participatory thing for a very long time. Um, I think it's one of the reasons it takes off is it incorporates a lot of aspects of successful urban legends. You know, it's children in danger. It plays yeah. on parental fears, you know, and it creeps into the supernatural as well. Maybe it isn't just a creepy stranger. Maybe it's not just an insane hobo. Maybe it's the Slender Man. Yeah, and unfortunately we did have a couple – it was like within the last couple of years we did have a situation here in Wisconsin. Two girls had invited a classmate to a slumber party. And they believed that Slenderman was a real character, so they took her uh, out in the you know the woods, and they tried to stab her to death. And then they ran away from home, trying to find this cabin because they wanted to become slen Proxy Man Slenders or proxies for Slenderman. The girl survived, and the case I think it's supposed to be going to trial soon. Yeah, I've heard um, that they'll be they'll be actually in court fairly soon, which is good. I'll be glad to see some resolution on it because whenever people talk about it, it gets into uh, fears about, "Oh, what is the internet doing yeah. to our children?" And honestly though, if I can if I can address this and I'm going to hell for this kind of way, that totally would not have impressed Slenderman. Yeah. That's, no, he doesn't want you to kill people. He wants to kill people himself. Yes, or if you go by Marble Hornets, um, which is an internet web series that, well, I've read in one of the wikis, I guess it's not supposed to be Slenderman, oh, but it's, it's totally a Slenderman-type Slenderman. character called The Operator. 
Um, well, the operator has been incorporated into Slenderman. Um, you know, on eight pages, that game that you mentioned, the the circle with the X, things like that, um, that's been incorporated into the Slenderman myth. Slenderman does have that fixed point. We know where he came from. We know the original creators of the first images. You know, there is that point of origin. But after that, it became this wonderful participatory thing, almost a game in and of itself, with everybody trying to come up with the next creepy part, something spooky enough that it could be added to the general myth. Um, you had mentioned earlier uh, augmented reality games. I think it's often a lot like that. Um, the, these ARGs can be really cool, and a lot of them are uh, horror-based. Mm -hmm. um, but the idea that, like an urban legend, you know, a conspiracy theory about something going terribly wrong, uh, you can have people telling these stories that create... Uh, just a second. Mystery, tension... Uh, suspense. Yeah, a sense of uh, a sense of the world not being what you thought it was. Yeah, one of the things I like about creepy pastas is there's just tons of good ideas for just that you could use in campaigns. And one of my favorite, well, actually one that doesn't really have you couldn't really use it in a campaign, but uh, one that I always think is kind of interesting is the lost episode creepy pasta, like yeah. uh, Squidward oh, Suicide. Cove. Yep, Candle Cove is another one, and I think one of the reasons is that the lost episode creepypasta is so popular is it's a real phenomenon. You yeah. know, like, I guess some of the early episodes of Doctor Who are considered lost because back then... They didn't know, keep the, the, fil the yeah. film reels the same way. And there's some things that are lost just through not being uh, passed over from VHS to DVD. Yep. So you can find an old tape or some things that are lost through not being supported by syndication. Like, there's a whole series from the Don't 2000... worry, that was not a ghostly scream. That was just nope. a little a little toddler scream. Velociraptor scream of excitement, yes. <laughs> uh, the 2003 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles animated series has a whole season, which the fans call the lost season, because Nickelodeon never offered it for sale. But, yeah, the... And sometimes they actually have entire lost series, like one I've heard of, Happy Appy which was uh, supposedly an apple on a stick that would help people, when the kids, when they got hurt. Yeah. But then he started looking scarier, and the episodes got more bizarre. And this show actually has a lost episode. Mm -hmm. um, one of my guests I've had on a couple times, Josh Hadley. Mm -hmm. we, uh, were, a while ago, we recorded an episode about heavy metal music. And I hope to do that, try that again sometime, but there was some technical issue where it was only recording my side mm. of the conversation. So, yeah, I deleted it because it just didn't turn out, and Josh and I just haven't had a chance to, to, so to do what it. You're so technically, there's a lost episode of this podcast. Yes, there is. Dun-dun-dun. Dun-dun-dun. Yeah. So, well, that is actually a wonderfully exploitable thing. Um, for For episodes, you have to be in a... Uh, setting that supports technology, but a player doesn't come in knowing everything about the setting usually, and they don't always have every minute of their backstory written down, and sometimes details about your setting will come up organically during the game. A lost episode storyline could be presented to the group just as easily as it could grow organically about what they discover in the world. Yes, and uh, another one that I think, this is again another one of those ones that preys on parental fears, uh, Mr. Widemouth. Uh, this is one where this furry little guy with an insanely large smiling mouth who 
gets a kid's trust and then tries to get him to do things like juggle knives or jump off of a second floor window and say like if you try if you imagine really hard when you jump out this window you'll fly you'll fly so which again i think it it preys on the whole fear of losing a child or especially or liars. strange accidents yeah yes, that li- creepy liars people who give bad or wrong information all of the hurtful people out there yeah, and there's a lot of um, similar features of urban legend monsters. Really wide grins is fairly common. Yeah, and uh, almost like there's a D&D monster, the Fae Dragon, but yeah, that's they're not evil. So, <laughs> But yeah. I could see converting, you know, making like Mr. Widemouth uh, a creature in like a fantasy legend. Or an or imaginary friend who's yeah. real. Yes. Yeah. Ooh. Um, Another one that I think would actually work really well with a modern campaign, Mm -hmm. the SCP Foundation. Oh, I love that. Did you know there's actually a fan movement to create a crowdsourced game? There's actually... There have been a couple, I think. I know, but there's actually a playable beta of the SCP Foundation. Yeah, because SCP stands for... um, Secure, secure, Contain, Protect. Contain, Protect, yes. Uh, I'm sorry, did I reveal myself as a fan? (laughs) (laughs) But the story behind this one is uh, there's this... Uh, institution that houses unusual creatures and artifacts and um, things that are supposedly could some of them can be dangerous Mm -hmm. like one of the most popular ones I forgot what number it is because they give them these numbers it's like a statue and they're kind of like the weeping angels from Doctor Who where If it's, you, I want to say 634, but yeah, they've they've got all of these rules in place. You know, there must always be three, you know, operatives within line of sight of the statue at any given time. You will warn each other when you are about to blink. You know, yes, because there was a, I saw a video of a gameplay where a game which was based on SCP, where they actually had a blink mechanic where mm-hmm. you had to blink every now and then, and this was very significant because yeah, you have this cre- the statue like creature. If you watch it, or if someone's looking at it, it can't, it can't move. move. Yep. But if you look away or blink, it can basically teleport wherever it wants to. Or just move incredibly quickly. Yeah. There's a lot of um, that blink mechanic was built into something that, again, kind of leads over into urban legends. Um, a lot of things that either must not be looked at or must be looked at. Um, you know, taboos that shouldn't be broken. Now another type of creepy pasta which. It's similar to urban le- some urban legends, ritual creepypastas. Yes. Uh, like one that I've heard, well, probably one of the forerunners to this is there's the urban legend of Bloody Mary, mm-hmm. where, like, if you go into, uh, you know, a bathroom, you know, or you look into a mirror in a dark room, and you say Bloody Mary three times and turn it on, you'll see her face when, when you turn the lights back on. Right. Um, but there's one that I thought was kind of interesting, and I could see this in working in some types of RPG campaigns, The Midnight Man. The Midnight... I was going to bring up The Midnight Man. Oh, we think alike. <laughs> yeah, no, it's... the That, I think, is a function of the fact that creepypastas are always written down. You can get complicated rituals in writing the way you wouldn't in... Um, speech, which I think can make them difficult for gaming because delivering these complicated rules to players can get hard. Yeah, because uh, the way I heard the with The, the Midnight Man... Uh, ritual creepypasta. Supposedly it's based on an ancient belief where if you did something wrong and you needed, you know, you had to atone, uh, at midnight you would do this ritual and it would summon the Midnight Man. Once you've summoned the Midnight Man, 
uh, you have to stay basically stay alive in your house for three hours. And what you would do is you'd have a candle. And as you're walking around the house, you, you know, if your candle started to flicker and go out, it meant the midnight man was upon you. Um, mm -hmm. So you had to somehow escape him and, you know, get to some place where your candle wasn't flickering. Mm -hmm. So you have to survive from like midnight till 3 a.m. And um, so and if you did this, then your whatever crime or sin you committed was atoned for. Otherwise, if Midnight Man catches you, then he pretty much kills you. Yeah, there's another interesting one that could be useful in a game, a way of uh, seeking, uh, you know, information or talking with some sort of dark version of yourself by surrounding yourself with mirrors in a specific way at a specific time. Uh, Three Kings Ritual? or Yeah, that, that must it? be it. Yeah, because I remember that one, it was kind of interesting because it's like, okay, you had to sit um, you know, sit down, you had to place the mirrors where you could barely see yourself. And, uh, there are all these things where like, if you, you know, you have to leave the door, you know, you leave the door open, but when you go in there, if the door is closed, you know, you have to get out of your house, mm -hmm. um, you know, or there's a fan you turn on before you go there. And, you know, if you get to this area and if you see the fan is turned off, then again, leave the house. And so I thought that one was kind of interesting. And there's a YouTube channel, Mr. Creepypasta, mm -hmm. uh, who does some pretty interesting narrations. Sure. Um, well, that sort of thing, uh, again, if you can find a good way, a safe way of communicating these uh, strictures and requirements to the players, uh, these kinds of things can be incorporated into almost any setting. Yeah. Uh, situation, um, you know, the, the Midnight Man of the Three Kings in a futuristic setting might become a specific uh, way to overcome uh, black ice or technological protection. You know, in a fantasy setting, it might be a way to pull the trapped princess out of the mirror. Um, I've never thought about that. That's interesting. <laughs> you know, like uh, it might be uh, a way to, uh, you know, summon forth the ghost of the ancient sorcerer that's cursing the artifact, you know? Well, speaking of artifacts, that transitions to another one of my favorite creepy pastas, uh, just because I think it's very versatile. Um, the holders. Now, this one, this creepy pasta involves there's a, these institutions you can go to, and you can ask to visit a holder. And when you visit one of these holders, you have to go on, undergo a test of power. Mm. And if you succeed you get one of these artifacts and it said I think there's like 500 some of these artifacts which can look like very mundane objects and of course each grants you you know certain powers which I could see in a game setting but um, they also it said that if someone brings all these artifacts together um, it might cause the end of the world mm -hmm. so that's one thing I could see I mean I wouldn't recommend maybe do, you know doing like 500 of them because well, that would be a pretty long epic campaign, <laughs> but something like maybe there's these 10 or 15 different artifacts your your party has to find, and that's something that could very easily be done in a, a fantasy setting, mm -hmm. but it could also work for like even a modern setting or science fiction. In the case of a modern setting, these artifacts might actually be highly advanced pieces of alien technology. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you, you could even do that into in a... Uh, you know, a sci-fi setting as well, of course. You could even go into essentially magical realism. Uh, for example, uh, Tim Powers does a lot of writing where 
mundane artifacts have become magical by their proximity to really remarkable events, you know, like a, a videotape of Albert Einstein or, you know, a jar containing Edison's last breath or something oh, wow. like that, you know? Yeah, and, you know, it's interesting because occasionally we do see urban, you know, urban legends, creepypasta-like things work their way into popular culture. Um, one... One example of a TV show that, now this came long before The Holders, but do you remember the Friday the 13th, the TV series? I was not allowed to watch that. I used to love that show. It had absolutely nothing to do with Jason Voorhees. Mm -hmm. I think there's, maybe you saw Jason's mask in one of the episodes, but for those who maybe did watch it, uh, Friday the 13th, the series was about uh, a man who owned a, a shop of antiques. And his, I guess his former partner, the person who previously owned it, he made a deal with the devil mm -hmm. to sell cursed artifacts to people. Ah. And then the guy broke his deal with the devil and was dragged to hell. Well, the guy who owned the shop now, uh, he was accompanied by two people. I think, I think one of them was his niece, and there was a, another man that was helping him as well. And so this, the series revolved around them trying to find these artifacts and return and get them back. Uh, there's a couple episodes that really stand out in my mind, and one of them would be really good, I think, for a modern campaign, especially mm -hmm. one incorporating fantasy artifacts, sure. right? fantasy elements, or magic. There was a cursed pen where the author, he would write these murder stories. Mm -hmm. And by using this pen, he was actually controlling one of the main characters and having her go out and commit all these crimes. Sure. And eventually, of course, they stopped him before they stopped him before she could, you know, be forced to kill someone. But sure. that might be an interesting one uh, because let's say you've got a party member that's doing something strangely. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you might make this connection that some of the things that this party member is doing have parallels in the the writing that this one guy does. A lot of similar ideas can be mined from series like that. Uh, a lot of things could be pulled from the different iterations of the Twilight Zone or Outer Limits. Oh yeah. Or Tales from the Crypt. Yep. Um, if anybody's interested in looking for storylines or ideas or bits and pieces like that, there's also a great website called TVTropes.org, mm -hmm. where it breaks down things like. You know, the idea of the disappearing magic shop or what yeah. have you. Well, another one of these, Friday the 13th, the series, another one of these episodes that was somewhat controversial from what I understand, uh, I believe it was called Hate on the Radio. Mm -hmm. And it was about a, a man who, he was the son of a white supremacist who was in mm -hmm. prison. And his radio, the radio in his car was cursed where if he got blood on it, it would take him back in time. Uh -huh. So he was basically going back in time to try to prevent his dad from getting caught because what he, his dad, like, killed a, a black person mm. and, you know, went to prison for that. Um, so it had kind of that time travel aspect. But, again, it was one of those episodes that was a bit more controversial. and Yeah, regrettable um, overtones. Yeah, but, yeah, those series that you mentioned, um, Outer Limits and Twilight Zone, um, I could see both of those as being excellent um, inspirations. Not necessarily creepypasta, but again, some very good series. Okay, so we've talked a lot about uh, some of our favorite creepypastas, urban legends, paranormal stories. Now, one of the things about the internet is it makes it really easy to spread things like this. Not just from Facebook, 
or I'm well, Facebook and email, social networking sites. Where are some places you've seen these types of stories get started? Uh, well, we mentioned Slenderman starting out on the Something Awful forums. Um, 4chan is frequently a uh, fertile ground for new ideas, good or bad. Um, the uh, the Creepypasta Wikia, which was meant to just store them, has become a place where people are writing. And then, of course, there's always uh, Reddit's No Sleep Board. It does have a caveat that everybody tries to pretend during the course of the story that it's real, but everybody knows it's yeah. just a story mining place. Yeah, and then, of course, there's the satire sites that this is more along the lines of the urban legends, but, of course, the onion. Mm -hmm. You know, occasionally you do see news networks take a story from the onion because someone, you know, read didn't about it. Check. Yeah, they didn't fact check. Uh, stories like this get passed around the Borowitz report and the national report. Mm -hmm. Again, occasionally Snopes will have articles that, okay, here's an urban legend going around like, okay, the mayor of some small town is proposed. We're going to round up all the homeless people and shoot them. Mm. And that's going to solve our homeless problem. Uh, you know, and usually stuff like that comes from Borowitz report or national report. So just as a public service announcement, if someone posts something on uh, Facebook or sends you an email and it says that they came from the Borowitz Report or the Duffel Blog or yep. National Report or The Onion, remember, please enlighten your friend and tell them that those are satire sites. Yep, remember, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably, probably is. is. So in closing, why do you think people like these creepypastas, urban legends, paranormal tales? Why do you think people like them so much, and why do you think that some of these tales endure for so long? Well, I think it's pretty much down to human nature. Um, even those of us that don't enjoy getting scared, um, we're, we're wired to pay attention to trusted sources, to things that might be a danger to ourselves or to our families. Um, We've, we encounter moral tales and warnings and uh, sensational things all through the rest of our lives. I can't imagine why, uh, you know, we would be surprised that people enjoy or remember urban legends when we're not surprised that they enjoy or remember the plot of a movie mm -hmm. or, you know, a tabloid story that interested them. Yeah, and I think part of it is, again, some people just like getting scared. People like me just find these kind of things fascinating. Uh, sometimes there's a certain moral aspect uh, to these, like, okay, kid, you know, tell your kids, yeah, you don't want to go into the woods because there's the, you know, the crazy hobo who lives in the rundown shack who will murder you with an axe if you get too close. Mm -hmm. um, but again, I think a lot of, also one of the reasons that creepypastas are so popular is because it's it's a creative exercise. Mm -hmm. And again, you have some people who just like writing these types of things. And I personally think that kind of thing should be encouraged. I agree. I think it's actually a beautiful phenomenon of the internet. For all that it's all wound up in telling each other silly, scary stories, it's wonderful to see people working together on these collaborative efforts oh, yeah. and some of the really interesting and unique ideas that can come out of it. Okay. Well, uh, before we go, uh, just one book I'd like to recommend, uh, Weird U.S. by Mark Moran and Mark Schuerman. Um, it is based a collection of ghost stories, paranormal tales, and urban legends from across the U.S. And there's lots of interesting things there. They do have you know your typical ghost stories like so and so died at this house and now it's supposed to be haunted. 
Um, another series of interesting things in there are like places that are reputed to be the doorway to hell. Mm -hmm. um, another place that's interesting, a, a type of legend that you see every now and then, is the story of the devil's stomping grounds, mm -hmm. where supposedly deep in the woods or in the back of a cemetery, there's a, a circle where no vegetation will grow and no animals will go near because there are... Um, because supposedly, you know, the devil, you know, goes there. So those are interesting p stories if you're into this kind of thing. I know for any of my listeners who are also in Wisconsin, I know there is all, they also did make a weird Wisconsin book. Mm -hmm. And I think they also made a weird New Jersey. I'm not sure if they have any others they made in this series, but definitely check out Weird U.S. if you have a chance to see it in your local bookstore. And outside of the internet and outside of books, I also encourage people, look around, uh, find out about local tours that can happen uh, for regional ghost stories. Um, yeah, those are extremely popular on Halloween. Um, I know my wife's been on several of uh, you know, the ghost tours and ghost walks where they'll take you to different places and say, like, okay, supposedly this happened here and people mm -hmm. claim they see the ghost of whoever here. Yeah, and uh, the people who run those tours are usually gold mines for other kinds of local legends. Yep. So hopefully you found the uh, last 50-some minutes here entertaining as we <laughs> talked about ghost stories and urban legends and maybe you found some stuff that you might use in your campaign. So with that said, uh, again, I'd like to thank you for listening and of course thank you, Casey, for coming by again. Happy uh, to help. Yep. And uh, please feel free to check on the podcast at www.podbean.com. Uh, look up Geekery in general. You can download the episodes. You can stream them. And you can also download them through iTunes as well. Uh, also, please visit my website, poigamestudio.com. Please feel free to stop by Point of Insanity Game Studio on Facebook. Like the page. So with that said, thank you for tuning in. Have a good evening or morning or afternoon, whatever it is, wherever you are, and happy gaming.